What does it mean, Messiah Matters? It means apart from him, we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It's Wednesday, September 5th, 2018. This is Messiah Matters number 232. Still got my camping hat on. My name is Caleb Hag, and with me, the man who spent four days in the Caribbean and is still white as can be, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, buddy? Going very well. Nice to be back. It was strange having... Were we off for two weeks or just one week? Just one two week. Isn't it? It, sound, it seems amazing. It was only one week. Oh, yeah. It was only one week. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it's been two... It's been 14 days, in other words. Right. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's been, it feels like a lot longer to me as well. It does, yeah, it feels long. We've had uh, we've had a lot of adventures. We have, we got so many things in the cooker right now. It's amazing. It's amazing how many things are going on. Um, we got uh, so I'm I'm trying to put together a show. My son has wanted to work with me for <laughs> I love this for like three three years, and he's only five, he's only six. He's almost six. But he keeps asking, Dad, when can I uh, get a job at Tor Resource? When will you hire me? And then he'll ask, can I come work with you? You know. So then the problem is that we're so busy over here that when he comes in, I'm usually in the middle of you know doing so, doing something, and uh, so that's always hard. So finally, I said, okay, I'll tell you what, let's do a show together. And he said, how much are you going to pay me? <laughs> Uh, yes anyway bottom uh, line yeah so basically um what i'm thinking we're going to do is i'm going to do a couple of test runs with my son as i said he's almost six and uh, we're going to do something like and we don't have a name quite figured out yet but uh, it'll be on the messiah matters youtube channel it'll be something like messiah matters to kids or uh, yeshua's kids corner or something like that we're we're throwing around some some different names, and uh, we're gonna basically uh, look at the Torah from a uh, six year old's perspective. So that'll uh, that'll be fun. And then also, I just realized I got a uh, teaching that I did um, with a small group that I'm with. I did a, a teaching on the festivals, uh, not this last Shabbat, but the Shabbat before that. And uh, I figured, you know what? Uh, the, the, um, the, the people who support us and uh, have access to Messiah Matters More, Messiah Matters More is thirsty. It's, uh, it's been a while since we posted anything. Now we got Rob's Trinidad lectures coming up and hopefully by the end of day, I should be able to have those up in Messiah Matters More. If that's the case, then I'll probably wait until I get back from vacation. I don't know. See it, the teaching that I have is on the, on the, uh, the fall festivals. So it'd be nice to get that up before uh, before, before I leave start, on vacation. Yeah, before, next week. Before yeah. Monday. Uh, yeah, Legos don't come cheap, no doubt. They're talking about my son wanting money. Anyway, um, yes, no doubt. We're going to visit uh, Mr. Smith and his family over in Montana. We might stop and say hi to Mr. Rob, as uh, my kids have been asking when they can see Mr. Rob and Mr. Andrew again. <laughs> um, so we're, we're stopping, but actually I think that we might stop in Coeur d'Alene. I don't know if we're stopping it. Yeah. Anyway, we're still all up in the air. Anyway, we leave Tuesday, so that should be fun because of that. Rob and I are doing an extra show either tomorrow or Friday. I think it's probably going to be tomorrow. It's the Messiah matter secret show because we don't know when it's going to be and neither do you. You just gotta, if you want to join mm, live MMSS. Yeah. You, if you want to join live, you gotta be, you gotta be on, on you know, waiting 
check your local social media outlet. That's no, right. I don't, I don't know what the church. That's right. Hey, Caleb, you have like you got to be careful how high you stack those books, brother, because if those behind you, if those get any higher, they can't see it. Oh, really? No, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm referring to is a big stack of uh, Hebrew Bibles and other. Yeah, so, so this is one of the blessings of being in ministry. Uh, uh, my father uh, offici- helped officiate a wedding of somebody who's in our congregation. The man that or the woman that uh, the guy married uh, is in a different congregation in a Christian church. And uh, Pastor Kennedy uh, is a blessed brother in the Lord, and he uh, he runs a very uh, wonderful looking church out in Port Orchard, which is about thirty five minutes away from us. And uh, so. He's been to Beit Hillel before, the congregation my dad is a uh, leader at. And uh, so they did the wedding together, and then he called me, and he said, Hey, uh, I know another pastor who was really into uh, basically all things Jewish, and uh, he passed away, and he he left his library to us. Actually, that's not how he said it. He said, and he left us a couple books. That's what he said. He left us a couple books. And they're very uh, Jewish leaning, and I was wondering if you'd want them. Sure, absolutely. So I had to drive 35 minutes both ways, but when I got out there, it's probably 12 boxes full of books. And uh, so now we're sorting through all the, and they're, they're good books. A lot of them are by Neusner. Um, yeah, just, I mean, volumes of Talmud, volumes of Mishnah, um, stuff that you'd pay good money for. So I've been. I, cool. I was the first one to go through the box boxes. Okay, let's get this out of the way real quick. Uh, uh, Messiah Matters is brought to you by Torah Resource. TorahResource.com is a wonderful place for all, all things Bible. Um, if you have a study that you're doing, chances are we have something to help you uh, in that study. Now, not all the time, but usually there's at least something that we can uh, direct you towards. Uh, and a lot of our stuff is free. If you get our show notes, which you should if you don't, if you get our show notes, uh, then you can see that the links in the links. We actually have two articles in the links that we've been using for this show and for the next show um, from my father. Both of those are free, and we have over a hundred uh, academic articles, including some by Rob Van Hoff and myself, on TorahResource.com.com under the articles tab, or well, it's actually under the insta- or library tab under articles. Okay, um, and then also uh, this show is made specifically possible. By our producers. We have associate producers and executive producers. And uh, these uh, people are some of the foundation of what uh, helps us run this show. Uh, If you'd like to become an accredited producer or uh, executive producer or associate producer, you can do so um, by going to TorahResource.com, hovering over radio and going down to Messiah Matters. And then you can click on, there's different options on there for becoming an associate or uh, executive producer. Become part of the conversation. You can do that oops, by calling 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. And, of course, you can send us emails, chag at torahresource.com. It's chag at torahresource.com. And let's not forget all of our supporters. You can be a supporter for as little as $5 a month and gain access to Messiah Matters More. Anyone who donates in any way to Torah Resource at all instantly gets access to Messiah Matters More. Um, on, that is if it's a recurring uh, donation. Um, so sign up today and gain access. Okay, now that all of that is over, let's jump into it, man. How was the Caribbean? How was Trinidad? It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Talk about it. So, um, so what did you teach about? We, we know you taught, we, taught on Galatians. Yeah, so there was a, a, a three-day conference hosted by a a small home group where the um, uh, the one of the primary leaders has opened her home to have like a sanctuary in 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 the home so she opens her home and uh, her home is uh, is spread out enough to where she's able to uh, do that and I was blessed it's like I I feel like these different all the people I met are just in my heart now, you know, like I just like, I feel like I have new friends, deep connection. And I feel like I know like 
meaning for prayer and for just uh, a desire to help them however I can. Sure. And uh, amazing. And uh, we w- it was so great because uh, uh, Tor Resource donated a bunch of books. Um, Yeshua Shirts donated a bunch of shirts and hats. Um, and so I took... I had a suitcase full of books because I had I had what Tor Resource donated plus I had a whole bunch of uh, duplicates of my own books and and books that I thought would be a blessing for their library, so I had a whole a suitcase full of books going down, uh, which was that's amazing. really the true that's the true blessing. They're like uh, Rob was okay, but he brought so many books. Yeah, we yeah. Have to well, have and this what they didn't know. I didn't tell them I was bringing all. This. You know, this was just. Um, I know I'm playing. So this was uh, a real special blessing to be able to do that, and uh, I come away with just uh, you know a, a broader picture of of the body Messiah in the world. You know, across nations. Sure. Uh, I'd never been to a, a tropical environment before. Uh, so that was that was its own new thing. Uh, um, what else? No Just, microphone. Yeah, meeting the people, hearing their stories. No microphone. Uh, was a and- brother all the way from Papua New Guinea, there, who's just literally the other side of the world, right? Papua New Guinea is exact, almost the opposite side of the planet uh, uh, from Trinidad, but he's there working on his PhD at at the uh, University of the West Indies there. Awesome. And that campus where I stayed was right by that campus. And so I was able to walk and it was like, everything was in slow motion, you know, walking around this campus. Cause it was, so you know, hot. in the eighties, high humidity <laughs> and nobody, nobody's in a hurry, you know, it's just slow. Um, was able to enjoy some of the, I, I was introduced to some of the local street food. That's the, the best the doubles and the, what they call the aloo pie, which is, uh, it's all vegetarian based on, uh, with the chickpea or the garbanzo bean as the core piece, but then you've got that's the best uh, part of travel, curry, right? different oh, yeah. pepper spices and breads, and it was just like you're gonna make me hungry. It was like this is like so awesome, you know, coconut. A guy with a machete shaving down coconut, yes. you know, and learning the whole deal of how that works. Um, so yeah, first time to to a Caribbean environment, and it was amazing. Um, but the people, I just leave with such a a, a bless, such a blessing of. Um, of just from the spirituality, from the love of, of the Lord, from from the the simple faith right. and and enthusiasm about the Bible that I was able to take away from each of them, uh, and the, the hospitality was such a high level. I I didn't once feel like an outsider or anything. The language was was different, even though English is the main language of Trinidad and Tobago. Um, which, by the way, is a it's two two islands that are a, a sovereign nation, and Trinidad is the larger one that's right off a couple miles off the coast of Venezuela. We talked a little bit about immigration because Venezuela is like a failing state, right? And right. They have people, uh, you know, people trying to get over to Trinidad, but then further out into the Atlantic is uh, and into the Caribbean is uh, Tobago, which is a smaller island. I did not visit that, but Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, but one of the, one of the men there and his wife, uh, that I met blessed, uh, just to meet them. But, uh, he was born and raised on Tobago with where they had a beachfront property. So like he grew up and if you look at Tobago beaches, we're talking like just paradise, like no way this would be like the island postcard. paradise right. kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, just so many new things, you know, so I still feel like it's still kind of the experience still kind of echoing in my in my being a little bit. But one of the key takeaways is just the the need. There's such a need for clear teaching and and it takes time and it takes time. It takes persistence um, because other, you know, in a, 10 years ago or so, another Messianic uh, teacher went down and had taught and gave some basic guidance, but then that person and their their situ their institution shifted, and changed uh, doctrines and kind of left this group. And I think this might be symptomatic of other groups as well. Kind of wondering, wait a minute, you, you know, you started us off, and sure. now we feel like you've left. And in the interim, other teachings have come in, and and so 
one of the needs I see is a need to somehow use our, and this is what we're trying to do here with like you sharing with the, you know, maybe a Messiah Matters for Kids, you know, these kind of things that we do to provide free content with whether it's audio or video or downloadable articles um, to provide and and get our information out there and and with our online classes trying to help people from all around the world to gain some basic skills so that they can uh, be confident and edified and stand strong on the word of god and that was kind of the message we spent two whole days on galatians and you know even that wasn't enough um but the core message the core piece here is standing true standing strong in the in the truth of the gospel Right. And how Paul uses uh, the, what I called case studies, right, where uh, Paul himself throws himself under the bus first as the person who is persecuting in all his zeal. He actually looks back and goes, wow, as zealous as I was, I was actually kicking against what God was actually doing in the world. Right. And I didn't see it until until the revelation of Yeshua, which is what God does. Right. God opens our hearts. We don't right. earn that. We don't discover it. Uh, like a you know as a result of our efforts this is something that god does and how like when when he took titus up to jerusalem you know there was false brothers came in and he held truth to the truth of the gospel um and then when the brothers from uh from uh, jerusalem came to antioch and it says even kepha and even barnabas started they stopped eating with the gentiles he said no you got to stand your 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 falling short of the truth of the gospel you're you're you need to come back and and get your priorities in a row and so we really drill deep on those getting into galatians because that is such a core discernment is when we say we follow the torah you know that can mean so many that's just like the word christian today you know yeah so it's like do you so the torah of the messiah is what paul ends up clarifying or the whole torah as he gets into galatians 5 and 6 and he says, you know, this is, the, if you're not following the Torah as Yeshua taught it, then you are not understanding who God is. You're not understanding what God's, how can I say that? It means you don't know truly what the love of God is, and you don't know what the grace of God is. Because the love of God and the grace of God is expressed first and foremost in the Abrahamic covenant is, is, is the grace of God, but the promise of the Messiah to come justification by faith. And that like Paul says at the end of, of Galatians two, he, who loved me, he's talking about Yeshua, who he loved me and he gave himself for me. And that's the core piece. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't grasp or operate on a faith, if your life is not operating on a faith that Yeshua loved you and gave himself for you and that you now, that your life now is in him and your, your approach to the Torah and the prophets and all the writings comes from that renewed heart perspective. It's the love story. Yeah, exactly. Like you were talked about before. If, if you're coming from some other angle than that, then you do not have the whole Torah. Yeah. You have a partial Torah. You have a skewed uh, idea of commandments. You have a skewed idea of covenant. You might talk the talk. You might have some of the some of the things, you know. Um. But but there is only one house that's gonna that's gonna stand against the the gates of hell, and that's the house that Yeshua builds. No doubt. Okay. Anyway, um, so I'm, I'm waxing waxing no, into. No, you're good, man. So um, just real quick. Once again, let's bring this up. We don't do this. So, lo- lo- See, long story short, big, uh, so, so, uh, hang on, wait, 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 oh. wait, wait, you're interrupting my, my, my message here. See, hey, resource.com or call <laughs> us two, five, three, four, six, five, 3205. I pull these up on the screen and you, you just keep blasting through. Go ahead. Dude, I did not even see what you're okay. Oh, so I was just going to say, thank you for all your supporters, all you who support us, because that supported Tor resource to, to send books down right and support Yeshua shirts uh, because they out of their generosity, I was prepared to just to buy some and they said, no, we're going to send you a bunch of shirts and some hats. And so support them, support Yeshua shirts. And we, we just thank everybody. And just uh, again, this is just another instant. We know we have uh, brothers and sisters all over the planet 
um, pray for the body of Messiah as a whole, as, as we all struggle to, to grow in uh, our strength to stand strong and our clarity of the message. Because as, as the heat gets hotter, we, we're going to be refined and we, you know, we want to be, uh, what do we call, we want to, to show ourselves approved. So, and, we, and we have nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be afraid of. So while uh, while Rob was down sunbathing in the Caribbean, yeah, <laughs> I was uh, I was uh, at the Tor Resource Institute family camp. Now, I I said uh, got my camping hat still on. You know that's actually not true. We we don't camp at at uh, at family camp. Camp uh, think think uh, you know Bible camp when you were growing up. There's a lot of cabins and like uh, you know little apartments and this kind of stuff. Uh, we had uh, an amazing group uh, this year. A lot of new people that had never been to camp before, and it was a lot of fun. We did a lot of stuff with the kids. Uh, so I determined uh, maybe two years ago that for my family and for myself, it was just better for me not to try to attend all the, uh, all the lectures. And the reason why is because I'm the one who ends up editing the lectures anyway. So I hear all that stuff, and it's not fair for me to sit in a lecture and have my wife ba essentially run around with kids all day long um, when it's supposed to be family camp, um, especially since I get to hear the lectures anyway. So um, basically at family camp, what I do is I make sure that everything is running, um, running correctly. And then um, once everything, and it's pretty much a, a pretty well-oiled machine at this point, uh, Michael uh, Gonzalez, who works here in the office with us, he took over the kids uh, for the for the te during the teaching time, and so there was a scavenger hunt. Uh, he broke everybody up into teams. There was a scavenger hunt um, one day. There was a, a water balloon day where all these different games with water balloons and relay races and all sorts of stuff. And then the third day there was a Gaga Ball tournament. If you don't know what Gaga Ball is, yeah, uh, Tor Resource Family Camp is like. The Super Bowl of Gaga Ball. In did fact, you, did you get some video of Gaga Ball? We did, and and uh, the congregation, Beit Hillel, my, the congregation my dad is is uh, a leader at. Uh, they're they're slowly but surely trying to uh, get a building built, and one of the things that has been uh, for sure said is that uh, if that building <laughs> ever gets built, there will be a Gaga Ball uh, arena in the back in the of house. it, so that so that the kids will be ready. For the for the Super Bowl of, of family camp, it is really a lot of fun to watch. Um, and if you ask Ben, my son, uh, what his favorite part of camp is, Gaga Ball. Anyway, so we had a wonderful time. Uh, we baptize people every year at camp. This year, one person got baptized. It was amazing and it was great. Um, we had a fun time of worship. the The sketches, of course, were always hilarious. Every year we uh, we we break the entire camp up into uh, four four to five teams. This year we had five teams, and uh, we give every team a passage of the Bible that they have to act out in some way, however they see fit. And uh, then on the last night, all the teams come together and, and present their sketches. And uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah, the retelling of Sodom and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, was the was the winner this year. And uh, their picture, the team's picture, will go up in the trophy at Beit Hillel to rub it in everyone else's face that they did not win for the for an entire 12 months until next year. So um, if you have never been to Torah Resource Institute family camp, I would, um, I would definitely uh, encourage you to, do, uh, to, to think about it. You know, we had people come all the way from Australia. Uh, that's about as far away as you can get. Um, so, uh, you know, if people can come from Australia and boy, it was fun having them here. Um, Chris and Carrie, they, they, uh, they were a blessing to have in, in my parents' home. My parents hosted them before camp and after camp and, uh, and they were just, they were a lot of fun and, uh, boy, oh boy, that's dedication. When you're, uh, you know, when you're dropping that kind of money on, on airplane, uh, tickets, you really want to come to camp. So anyway, I encourage everyone to uh, think about it. It's a great time. We top out at about 135 people every year, and every year it's been pretty full, and, and this year was no exception. Okay, well, that's the recap, essentially, of our um, our past week, that we, the past two weeks, essentially, that we've been off. Um, 
<clears throat> and so now let's get into some more weightier matters. We have a lot of things that we could talk about. Um, <clears throat> so we've talked about your recap of Trinidad. We've talked about camp. You know, w- w- when we were at camp, I um, I always get up quite early in the morning to go to uh, the, the cafeteria, make sure that, you know, everything's kind of getting ready correctly. I There's not a lot for me to do, but I just want to be there just in case. So I end up taking a book and I usually read in the cafeteria. Uh, and usually the people get there at about 4.30, 5 o'clock a.m. Uh, so that, you know, food can be ready by 7. Um, and so I have time to read. And I was reading N.T. Wright, Paul and the Faithfulness of God. Um, if you haven't seen this volume, it's $64 online. And the reason why is because each volume is about... Actually... This is not N.T. Wright's. This is E.P. Sanders' volume on uh, Paul. But for those online who can see, N.T. Wright has two volumes that are about this big. And uh, I would say a couple thousand pages, right? Anyway, um, I was reading his book, and I didn't realize that he has a stance that he laid out in, in a different book, which now I'm jonesing to read. Um, but basically, and I'm sure anyone who's read N.T. Wright knows this, and, and I'm just late late to the game. Um, but basically, Wright says that when the Babylonian exile happened, uh, Israel, when they came back from the Babylonian came back from the Babylonian exile, they did not think that they were no longer in exile. In fact, they believed that they were in exile in Israel. They were still under uh, under uh, Roman rule. Right, and um, the Shekinah, or the presence of God, didn't come back into the temple, at least not that we know of. There's nothing that uh, seems to tell us that that happened until Yeshua obviously walks in as a child. But um, the cloud didn't didn't re-enter the temple, at least not that we, there's no evidence of that. And so what he says is that Israel believed that they were still in exile, even though they had a temple and, and were in Israel. Um, were in the land. Now, this really kind of struck me as I was reading his... Now, I don't know what he does with that. I don't know what his position, you know, what that leads his position to. In other words, I don't know if he uses that for replacement theology in some way. I don't know, you know, if there's supersessionism wrapped in in that or... um, I don't don't know. I don't know what, you know, what his conclusion of all that is um, because I haven't gotten any farther in in that book and I haven't, uh, haven't read... Uh, the book where he fully lays this this theory out. But what I thought was this, if this is true, and it took me back to a couple shows ago when we were talking about John the Baptist, if this is true and Israel still saw themselves as in exile, we're strangers in our own land, right? This is one that you brought up the other day. Um, but if they s- still saw themselves as in exile, this to me actually shows a lot more of what John the Baptist is doing in a baptism of repentance. In other words, come out of Jerusalem. We're in exile. Come out. Come back over the the Jordan again. Repent, because you're still in exile. In other words, you're still not keeping the Torah, correct? Because if you were, you wouldn't be in exile. So come out of the land, repent, get baptized, and then everybody. What do they say? Are you the Messiah? In other words, it's like you're going to come up with us to Israel to Jerusalem now, and you're going to regain the land. Nope. There's one who comes after me who's even greater, that, and I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. Um, so it was just this, I, and I, there's really no more I have to say on this except for the idea that it kind of sheds more light for me. You know, it's a concept I wouldn't necessarily, uh, my father's famous line, I wouldn't follow my sword for it. But at the same time, it's uh, if this is the case, if Israel did see themselves this way, then it might shed light on on uh, what more on what John the Baptist was doing. You have any thoughts on that, Rob? Oh yeah, um, this this is kind of tied a little bit to some of the thought on reading Galatians that comes out uh, in talking about what Paul's doing in the epistle, especially when he contrasts Hagar and Sarah in chapter four. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is one thing I think right. Uh, N.T. Wright is correctly highlighting. Now, again, um, we're not endorsing necessarily where he takes that in the larger picture, because in terms of like the state of Israel today and things, I, I don't know what his stance is. But 
Um, uh, and there are, but the idea of uh, highlighting that, wow, when the second temple was built, right, like it says, they, some people were weeping because uh, out of sadness, because the yeah. glory was nothing like it was. And some were uh, weeping out of joy because they never saw the first one and that the people were not able to discern one kind of weeping from the other. But the idea was that just as with the building of Solomon's temple, we have all this uh, explanation in, in the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles about the, the kavod, the glory of Adonai filling the temple and that the priests weren't even able to go in, etc. That, that, just as with the building of the Mishkan and the glory of the Lord filling, so too um, uh, was the, which is interesting with the feast, because uh, the Mishkan, it, it happened at the first of the year. Here it's in the seventh month when, when Solomon builds the temple and the Shekinah, Shekinah, Shekinah which is not a biblical term, but the, the, Shekinah, the, glory glory. Fills, the Shekinah glory, um, that we don't see that with the second temple. Right. Uh, and, uh, so N.T. Wright is just pushing on that theme a little bit, uh, to see repentance and, uh, forgiveness of sin as language of returning from exile. And I think he's right on. And, and to supplement that, and I don't know if he ever makes this point and I, he probably doesn't because he usually doesn't get into the intricacies of the Masora, but we know from, the Aleppo Codex and from the Leningrad Codex, we know from uh, the the Tiberian Masoretic tradition, the last book in the Tanakh is is Nehemiah, not Second Chronicles. And so, uh, the Tiberian tradition and our oldest, sadly, it's been damaged, so we don't have it in its entirety. But but our oldest Masoretic, officially Masoretic text, which is our our uh, Aleppo Codex was a giant book, right? Just like you have there, you know, on your shelf the, with the BHS, except the, the last book is Nehemiah. And now why do I mention that? Because it's in Nehemiah that Nehemiah has that prayer in Nehemiah 9, which is parallels in some ways Daniel 9. So Daniel 9 and Nehemiah 9 are both important prayers for uh, understanding the heart of the ex of the Jews that were in exile and the desire to return, and there's parallel with our situation today. So beautiful prayers with rich theological uh, uh, truths to be uh, gained from it. But one thing that Nehemiah says in in nine thirty six says, "Behold, we are of a deem today. We are slaves today." So he's back in the land. And they're rebuilding the temple. He says, as to the land that you gave our forefathers to eat of its fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves in it. So twice there in Nehemiah chapter 9, 36, he says, we are slaves in the land. So the idea is, wait a minute. There's, there's a temple operating. There's priesthood operating. But yet, why would Nehemiah be saying we are slaves? Right. They're, they're celebrating feasts in the land. And, and then to Galatians 4, he says, you know, he's talk, uh, Paul's talking about Hagar and Sarah and how Hagar is like Mount Sinai in Arabia, corresponding to the, to the now Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, that, is, in, that is, is slaving away with her children. So there's this sense of both in Nehemiah, which would have been the last book according to the scribal tradition. So imagine that. Imagine that you read the whole Tanakh and you finish with Nehemiah and you, you have this idea of right. while chronic second Chronicles ends up, whoever wants to go up, let him go up. Right. Well, Nehemiah takes place after that decree. So the idea of, yeah, they come, they return, but they're not, but they're still slaves. There's still a problem of, of slavery. Of course, with, uh, with time, we had the, the Greeks come in, you know, we had the Maccabees reclaim for a, for a, about a hundred years, and then Rome came in, and there was no more independence, no more Jewish independence. And so, all of Yeshua's ministry, all of Paul's letters, are taking place and are being written. All Paul's ministry, while there's a temple operating, but there's a sense of of constraint by foreign occupation, and, and in that case, it's Roman occupation. Right. Uh, and so the struggle is, 
what you're saying, it, it was it, back to our discussion of the mikvah and how people went out. This was not controlled space, right? The, the Jordan River was outside of all that political issue, outside all the, the sectarianism. And in a way, going out, washing and reentering the land afresh, right? Confessing sin, forgiveness of sins and, and being a foreshadow of new creation, uh, redemption because that's the big theme in galatians right Yeshua, he died he loved me and he died for me right he he redeemed us from the curse of the torah okay so this this uh again this is the the heart of of the godly person right of the truly god fearer person is the heart to to be redeemed by god and god provided redemption in yeshua not in any other way um so any of the other sects that are using the, some of the same language, but saying, you know, like you need to become part of the Essene community, let's say at Qumran, or you need to be a Pharisee, or you need to be a Sadducee, or, or no, you need to be a Samaritan because actually they, which is crazy, you know, the Samaritans rejected the Davidic line. They rejected Jerusalem as, so all the prophets and all the writings are, are not accepted by the Samaritan uh, group. And, but even though they, they have a Torah right. anyway, so we're just getting probably pretty in, much into the weeds here. But the core issue of slavery is there <laughs> in Nehemiah, <laughs> and uh, I think N.T. Wright is is touching on an important point that is a backdrop for John the Baptist preaching, right? And idea of who's going to save us, who's going right. to save us. Okay, let's. <laughs> I I, I want to move on because uh, I want to spend some significant time on the idea of Hebrew versus Greek mindset. Now, my father's done a six series. Um, teaching on Hebrew uh, Hebrew versus Greek mindset uh, entitled My Big Fat Greek Mindset. You can find this teaching in our store on TorahResource.com. Um, but I've also in the show notes linked an article under the same name. And so there's an article by the same name. It's a two-part article. I have it here. Um, and so... Good article. Yeah, It is a I good think. article. Right. And basically what he does in this article, what my father does in this article, is he talks about the the influence of platonic thought. So platonic philosophy and some of the, um, some of the Greek philosophers that influenced the Greek mind and how that came in after the destruction of the temple into the philosophy and theology of the church. And uh, he does actually a very good job of, of kind of showing some of the differences there. Now, one of the things that I think uh, the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement have done is they have taken the idea of Hebrew versus Greek mindset, and they have run way farther than, than they are... Uh, than the evidence or even the notion would allow. So, for instance, I'll give you a perfect example. We have teachers who say, oh, well, the Trinity is a Greek mindset. You're thinking like a Greek mindset. Now, my father touches a little bit on the, on the idea of uh, dual nature of God. But what he says is that, uh, in this article, what he says, though, is, okay, the, uh, the, the, the Greek mind needs everything in a row. So nothing can conflict at all. Every, you know, it's like a domino effect. One domino hits, and this is where you know systematic theology essentially comes from. Is one domino falls, hits the other domino, hits the other domino, and this is how theology works too. The mind, you know, one thing is linear. True. Yeah, he said you know, like a linear, linear linear thought. A equals B, so C must be true. Is kind of the thing. But then he shows that. You know, we have statements like in First John or in John one and uh, and many other places. Whereas the Hebraic minds, mindset is not necessarily in a linear thought pattern. So you can have no one has seen God at any time, and then you can have Israel seeing the God of Israel, um, you know, the, the leader seeing the God of Israel, um, and there's it's okay to have this conflict. And I think that honestly, this, uh, this is, you know, I, I never said this in my talks on, on uh, election, but I really do think that this is... Uh, kind of one of the places where Greek thought does enter in. In other words, I think that does God predestine and elect all, you know, elect the, the well, the elect, those who are saved, before the foundations of the world? Absolutely. I believe that. Do I believe that prayer uh, changes things? Yes, I do. Now, can I explain that? No, I cannot. 
Now, I don't have a problem with that. Both of those can live in tension to me. See, so my father would say this is coming from a Hebraic perspective that these two things can live in tension and it's okay. It doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, you don't have to have a creed to try to figure it out. It can just live in tension. So in this respect, I like where he's coming from in terms of a Greek versus Hebrew mindset. I agree with that. However, to to use the idea that a Greek mindset covers all sins or the church, oh, it's churchy, you know, churchianity or, um, you know, these kind of statements, not only do they do nothing, but they actually down brothers and sisters in the Lord and they stop conversation. And this is really where I think that the Hebrew versus Greek mindset has become a stumbling block as opposed to something that can help us. Should we try to view the scriptures from a Hebraic mindset? I would say yes, absolutely. And the reason why is because they're written predominantly by uh, Jews and uh, ethnically Jewish people, culturally Jewish people in a specific time and place. So we need to try to transport, you know, one of the things that uh, historians and one of the things that uh, theologians do is they have to try to transport themselves to that time and that place and the culture to try to understand better how to understand the text that they're reading. So this is something that we as believers should always try to do. This is why uh, Torah Resource predominantly, well, we say that we and we believe and we interpret the Bible through a historical grammatical interpretation. In other words, we have to put the text back into the history and the grammar of the time. With all this said, um, the idea of, oh, well, the Trinity is just a Greek, uh, a Greek notion. No, it's not. In fact, uh, we see the dual nature of, of God throughout the Bible, all the way starting back in Genesis and all the way through Revelation. And these Jewish writers and scribes are the ones who laid out the dual nature of God very explicitly throughout the text. Now, obviously, the word Trinity doesn't come along. I think Tertullian is the first one to use it. There might have been one church yeah, I don't know father sure. uh, referenced before Tertullian. But the, um, but the point is, is that the idea that uh, the Trinity is a Greek thought and not a, and not a Jewish, a Hebraic thought is so wrong. And, uh, but these are the kind of statements that people use. So what, what are some of the things that you would like to highlight about the idea of a Greek versus uh, uh, Hebrew? Well, mindset? yeah, I, uh, I'm tracking with what you're saying. I think that at least people who are interested in this should do themselves the service of reading your dad's two-part article that you shared. Right. Um, like just to, I mean, basically go th- over some of the ideas that you just gave in, in real small form. One thing I've seen, back to your point of it being pushed too far, and that's one thing your dad doesn't do, at least in this short two, two-part article. He doesn't explore that. He leaves that for, for another day. Um is that somehow Greek language is is that God's word can't be uh, expressed in Greek language? That there's something inherent about Greek language that is Greek thought, or and or, that there's something, or, or or that Greek is inferior to Hebrew, and right? Therefore, or that there's something inherent to Hebrew language that goes with Hebrew thought, and that is something we absolutely have to deny. And here's why, because. Well, take Isaiah 6, for example. Isaiah 6, right? What does Isaiah say? He says, woe is me, right? I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, yet yet I've seen the Lord of glory. Okay. Well, Isaiah had beautiful Hebrew. His poetry is, is, his prophetic poetry, of course, inspired, it's spirit-inspired, is so beautiful. He was a master of the Hebrew language. He didn't speak Greek, right? right? He spoke you know, he was way before the Greeks even became a, a, a big nation. Um, yet his his the conflict in Isaiah's heart is is not that he's speaking the wrong language. He's speaking Hebrew, but he's the conviction of his of his sin is contrasted with God's holiness. A revel a, a, a major uh, transformative uh, glimpse of the gravity of the holiness of God. Right. And he saw himself in contrast to that. And, and so for him, he sees his own, the words of his own mouth and the, and the people he work, lives around as being unclean. So the contrast there, and, and I think Isaiah explores this theme. Again, this is still first temple time, Solomon's end of, towards the middle end of Solomon's temple era. Um, like in chapter 29, and Yeshua quotes this, you know, that they, uh, they honor me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. 
So in other words, the idea of, of a, divi- a division in a human between the ideas that they talk about and they're actually what's in their heart as being separate doesn't require a Greek precedent, right? right? That's just a human problem. Even though Plato, as your dad does in this article, talks about the idea of the world of ideas as being the real world and the contrast with the material world. And that dual, that, that dichotomy seems to play and feed into later what we call Gnostic thought, right. where, where, uh, quote, the spiritual is good and the material is bad and the body's part of the material, therefore the body's bad. And therefore ascetic practices like, you know, uh, extended fasting or doing things to your body um, are, is somehow a way to to discipline yourself spiritually becomes a, uh, a problem. But even then, that problem does leak in even to what we would think is Hebrew or Jewish thought, where in the Kabbalistic tradition, right. you have a similar problems. You have the invasion of uh, Neoplatonic thought in the idea of the sephirot and all, all this kind of stuff. Um, and all this is, is man-made philosophies, whether they originate in Greek thought or other Mesopotamian thought or even in later Jewish uh, Kabbalistic thought. These are man-made philosophies to try to build and construct kind of what I would say is a Tower of Babel, right? Construct ways that man is going to, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to have this secret knowledge about this, and I'm going to somehow have earn a, a, a godly-like being, right? I'm going to okay. somehow become like the angels or, I'm, or some uh, thought uh, that is uh, transcendent to this world and I'm going to escape it, you know? And even, even to the degree that in the Jewish, uh, by the time you get to the middle ages, you have the rabbis that are promoting reincarnation because they think that, Oh, I, in one lifetime, I wasn't able to keep all the commandments. Therefore I have to go, I'm going to come back again. And only, only once when I'm able to fulfill all the mitzvot, am I released from this cycle of this chain of being chained down to this body. And so these are all philosophies that that mix in what we might normally separate as Greek versus Hebrew thought. So so just to go back to the heading on that point that I would say is we don't want to conflate what like Tim Haig is contrasting here, Greek mindset versus Hebrew mindset with Greek language versus Hebrew language. Um, the apostolic writings were all we all have them in Greek. They're originally written in Greek. Every language, as we learn from that first Shavuot post-ascension that we read about in Acts chapter 2, we know that for all these different languages, people heard the gospel and believed. Right. What do we take away from that? Is that it's that God is not dependent, God's spirit is not dependent on any one language. No doubt. Now, but so anyway, so that, that's just one thing I think is important. Um can I yeah, just say real quick? That's probably good enough. I, I'm, Go ahead. I, sh- I should just say real quick. There's a, a uh, quite a lengthy discussion going on in the chat room about whether or not there was the ark in the second in the second temple, oh. uh, and if there wasn't, what did they do? How did they get work around that? Um, yeah, there is no there. We don't. There know. is no. There is only traditions that it's not there. We don't have a tra- any any written traditions that there was an ark there. Right. So I don't think. I personally don't think there was an ark there. I don't think we have any reason to believe there was an ark there. Yeah, Yeshua still goes and, and seems to partake, right? Oh, absolutely. And 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 Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he still was a Levite. He was a, a son of Aaron. Right. He was a Cohen, and he went and offered the burn uh, the incense offer. You know, yeah. So what's that's inter- a, that's a really good point because that shows that that shows that the heart of the assumption of the disciples, even going to the temple and praying, was to walk in as much Torah as as could be done uh, based on what God permitted. In other words, if God took away the Ark of the Covenant, well, that means that on Yom Kippur, they have to do something slightly different. If God takes away the temple, does that mean we stop uh, keeping feast no so okay hang on just a sec now now there's an interesting comment and this is one that i think is a is is peddled around a lot but there's not a whole lot of understanding 
Uh, somebody says, read the book of Enoch and the book of Jasher. Now, I'm not opposed to reading these books. However, the book of Jasher is not the book that was yeah, that, uh, uh, extant that. in the first century. In fact, the, I think the earliest, uh, it's, a, it's, a, uh, re, it's a recreation. We've talked about this before. It's a recreation. It's a, it's a fake from, what, the 12th, 13th century is the earliest one we have? Oh, I, I think it's even. I think it's even later than that. So the that. the book of the book of Jasher that would be like saying, um, yeah, and which Enoch could. So um, the book of Enoch has been. I think uh, in your class we talked about how it's four or five books that have been put together, and we're not exactly sure what was extant in the first century and what wasn't. Um, now I, Enoch has been found, right? We have we have examples of Enoch found at. Uh, am I wrong to say it at Qumran? Have we found? We Enoch? have. Just fragment. We have tiny, tiny fragments of what seem to be what we would call Enoch. Um, I, I know that we're totally in the weeds here, but but um, well, that, and that would now be called First Enoch, right? And so, uh, but the the Enoch we have as a whole is written in Ethiopic, right? And it's like from the, it's only like five hundred years old or so. Right. I mean, it's really fairly recent. And so, there's the text history of what we call Enoch proper is so complicated and difficult there's there's really very little solid ground when you want to affirm that there is the book of enoch behind any second right. temple thing we know that that there were traditions pertaining to enoch but it's uh it's hard to nothing you can really hang a hat on as far as i'm concerned so uh back to the the uh, and i know that we were, we're off topic here but back to the idea of of uh the presence in the ark in the in the temple uh god has not brought enough punishment on them to take them back out of the land at this point right and then the presence of the lord does show up in human form uh in in uh in uh, in the temple when yeshua goes right and when they reject and this is right after this is right after uh john the baptist is saying repent right so then they see the pre the real presence, whether or not they saw it or not. Some people knew. Some people caught it, right? Some people understood that it was the real presence of, of the Almighty indwelling the, the temple at that time. And those people, uh, they, they backed him and, and they followed him. And then the leadership rejects him and crucifies him. And of course, I think that the that's like the the straw that breaks. Well, the straw. It's the it's the uh, it's the telephone pole that uh, that breaks the the camel's back. In other words, that is the that's the pun. You will be punished for this, um, you know. And this is why the temple is obviously taken away. Sacrifices are no longer even a possibility. Um, Israel hasn't been able to. You know, the non-believing Israel has not been able to celebrate the feasts. Um, in, you know, since 70. Uh, so anyway, interesting. Okay. Do we want to get back to uh Greek versus, versus, uh, uh, Jewish mindset? Sure. Oh, one other thought I, I, I think that might be helpful pushing on that Isaiah theme is Isaiah 55, where God says, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts, right? My right. ways are not your ways. So I would just say that if, if we're exploring Greek mindset and contrasting that with Hebrew mindset, one of the constraints to that we want to make sure we don't forget is the prime division that governs all of our understanding of Scripture is, is that, 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 that his thoughts are not our thoughts, right? That's the prime dichotomy here is God's thoughts and ways versus man's thoughts and ways. Right. And biblical wisdom is by God's grace, we hear, our ears are opened, our hearts are, are circumcised so that we hear the voice, right? We hear his voice and we follow, like Yeshua says, you know, my, my sheep hear my voice. And that we grow and in wisdom, we actually gain actual godly knowledge. We grow in actual godly wisdom and understanding and we live our lives more and more um, reflecting of those kingdom values. And so there is a transformation that happens on the human side as we grow in that in, in discernment. I'm sorry. And, we gotta, and that's the core difference. Not, and that's not a transition. That right. growth is not a transition from Greek mindset to Hebrew mindset. That's a transition to 
uh, walking in the Torah. So I'm sorry, we have to go back to this. I asked uh, Dylan. Um, uh, he he says, uh, I I said, do you think that the book of of, uh, of Enoch is scripture? He said, yes, it's quoted from in the Epistle of Jude. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, it's not quoted. In, it's not quoted in the book of Jude. Um, and and this is a a, a misunderstanding. We should uh, look. Should we look at that real quick, just sure. to show? Um. So basically, the point is is that uh, it it might be quoted in Jude. It might be alluded to in Jude, but even then, he he doesn't say. You know, um, he says as as Enoch rightly prophesied. Right, that's all it says. It doesn't say it is written. Yeah, like as it does it with written. scripture. And yeah. and the way that the way that people reference scripture uh, in the first century, it's pretty obvious. Is it's been you know um, as it is written. So the idea. And, and not only that, the quote. If you look at this this quote from Jude fourteen, that he says Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these, saying. Quote, if we look at uh, the fragment from Qumran that we have that is kind of close to this, and we look at our other extant Enoch written things that are claimed to be written Enoch, it's pretty different. Right. So this is a, this is only, this is not a written tradition. This is an oral tradition that's being cited. And it, and it, it, it is a paraphrase. It right. is, um, so people who just assume that this is Jude went to his Enoch book and like, yeah, this is a, a general paraphrase that circulated in the name of Enoch. It, uh, there's no reference here to a book right. at all. Um, it, it's interesting because, and this isn't to put the person down in the chat room at all, but, uh, uh, you know, there are some of these uh, these things that have been picked up by what I would consider maybe the Hebrew Roots movement or the Messianic movement um, that are kind of going around the Internet that really don't have any basis in reality there, there are things that have been um uh, just repeated somebody said them and they've been repeated and now it's it's a talking point it's a you know and this is in in my opinion this is one way that we de uh, degrade the scriptures we have 66 books and um i don't care if you're trying to add to or take away we're not you shouldn't be doing that so if you're trying to say that you know oh uh, well hebrews the book of hebrews shouldn't be in your bible no if you're trying to say the book of Enoch should be in your Bible, no. Um, you know, the the believers have, have uh, rested on the canon um, and have been rested on the canon for a very long time. Now, I know people bring up the idea of, of, um, of uh, you know, the Catholic, the Catholic Apocrypha and whatnot. Um, this is a very interesting history. And um, so, anyway... Um, and now, now we've lost Rob in the chat room, <laughs> which is okay. Did you want to say anything? I mean, we've been all over the place and this shows how, how long it's been. We, we've been 14 days without doing a show. So we're, our minds are scattered. Um, did you want to say anything else about Greek versus Hebrew mind, uh, set before we, before uh, we take off? Nope. Nope. Just to realize that Greek is not just to underscore Greek language is not against God's uh thought process and at the, all uh, well and on the on the heels of that the idea you know going back to my initial uh critique of the idea of overusing hebrew to greek mindset if somebody tells you that the that the, the doctrine of the trinity is a greek formation i'm sorry these men worked with the text they're they're arguing the text they're not they're not uh you know just making things up the reason that they come up with these things is because it's, you know, they're dealing with scripture. So you can't use Greek, oh, you're, you're thinking like Greek mindset or, oh, you're thinking like the church. Well, you can't use that to try to cover, you, you know, cover you theo your theological bases. Get a real argument. You know, if you're going to, to try to use ap apologetics or if you're going to uh, argue the Bible, then get a real argument besides the idea of, oh, well, it's just a Greek now, you can say that. You can say, oh, that's a Greek mindset. But then you have to be able to show it. Show how it's a Greek mindset. 
I mean that you can't just you can't just throw these these terms out and expect that that's going to to stand as the argument that you you have in a in a theological right. Uh, you can't say oh that's Greek thinking yeah and then therefore shut somebody down right with with that right. Well, it's been funny, which is and- funny too, is because it, it's helpful to do that. But I still, we don't want to get so used to those kind of categories that we don't actually learn something about the actual languages of Hebrew or Greek. Oh, you right. Know? Um, yeah. Right. Or Latin, since Caleb's <laughs> dabbling with Latin sources now. Uh, we'll talk about the, that tomorrow in our secret broadcast. Um, we don't know when it's going to be, but we're going to have a secret broadcast sometime tomorrow. Um, and we're going to talk about some of the things that I've been reading and uh, totally nerding out on. Um, I, I make fun of my father and Rob for being Bible nerds when it comes to the Mazora. Well, I found my Bible nerdism, and uh, it's it's uh, the rabbit hole goes deep. Anyway, um, so we'll be back tomorrow, and that's going to be our show for actually next week. So we're trying to double up because I'm going to be on vacation. I didn't want to I didn't want to leave people again right away. Right. Um, I wanted to I wanted to have two shows in the bag and then I'm going to try to do something for Messiah Matters more. And we're going to try to put up Rob's things from Trinidad as well. Okay, I hope it's been a fun conversation for everybody, even though we've been all over the place. It's been really nice to be back in the uh, in the seat behind the microphone and be able to uh, hash out some uh, some ideas with Rob. It's always fun. And uh, we're looking forward to doing it again. And uh, we hope that everybody's preparing their hearts for Yom Teruah. And we hope that that festival will do one thing for you. Glorify our great God and Savior Yeshua the Messiah because Messiah matters.